This place isn't what I expected. What did you expect? I don't know, like the Algonquin Circle, Dorothy Parker, you know, martinis, quips. Nobody here's drunk. It's called being professional. You should try it sometime. Here's something you're gonna understand, okay? I'm not really one of you. By you, do you mean human? No, I mean one of the glossy posse. You know, a bunch of zombies writing about, oh, pets of the stars, acting like they're working for the UN. I am here to shake things up. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. Hello out there in podcasting land, I'm Tim. I'm Shruti. And this is Music for Films Box Set. This is part two. We had a uh, wide-ranging discussion yes. about the issues to do with the film, how to lose friends and alienate people. This was made in 2008, I believe. Or well, ten years later, it's become an interesting film because of what's happened to Toby Young. It's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Having sort of jokingly written this book about his attempts to become big in New York as a, as a journalist, he has become a household name through a series of obscene tweets, as we will go on to discuss in a moment before we start talking about the film. Uh, things have taken on a slightly more sinister and in some ways troubling here in relation to Toby Young's uh, activity since this film was made and it makes you wonder what Simon Pegg makes of all of it I, I doubt Simon Pegg could be drawn on, on the, the recent controversy about Toby Young but obviously having played Toby Young in a film and having hung out with Toby Young to promote the film they are inextricably sort of bound to each other in a way. I mean, I think much more so Toby Young's sort of dependency on Simon Pegg's celebrity than the other way around. I'm sure yes. nobody in America's heard of Toby Young. No. But certainly when Toby Young was defending himself this week, uh, he he tweeted a picture of him and Simon Pegg together at, I think, the premiere of this film. Oh. Which must have been... Wonderful for... Simon Pegg. Oh, I mean, Simon, Simon, you know, Simon Pegg may be able to uh, take that sort of thing on the chin. I mean, who, I think Simon Pegg's probably less squeamish about Toby Young than a lot of people are. Uh, Simon Pegg's, in a way, quite quite a sort of conservative guy. He supported the Iraq invasion. He supports a lot of services charities. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy, but he's in some ways quite right wing. Friends with Chris Martin from Coldplay. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I choose. Now we've mentioned Coldplay. I feel quite sure. You found Close us at the gym. Yeah, I was I was running on the treadmill and listening to you and Roz. There it you are. Bizarre. Music for films <laughs> at the, at the gym. Uh, you know, at the shopping mall, at your leisure. Now, so what we should also mention uh, is why we're doing this and uh, how we've done this. So most of the time we talk about our Scala map. We've linked a, uh, a film to every tube stop on London's wonderful underground map, originally designed in the 1930s by Harry Beck. 
and those films are usually in some way connected to the underground in the sense of underground culture underground films the counterculture um some of them are a bit kind of abstruse and esoteric in terms of the connection between the tube stop itself and the link to the counterculture but what am I supposed to do? This like this if you include Crosswell, <laughs> there's hundreds of tube stops. I can't make every single one, um, you know, suitable for a beer five flip side Blu-ray. It's just not possible. It's there fine. Don't worry. There it's aren't just that fine. many films. It's fine. No one's being pedantic. It's fine. But we're also going to make a couple of these, which are what I'm calling box sets. So films where uh, you might like to have a sort of alternative DVD commentary. Yeah. I'm slightly breaking my own rule in the first one in that there is a very good DVD commentary for this film, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, which is the lead actor playing Toby Young, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg always gives good DVD commentary. I love listening to Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright DVD commentaries, and Jessica Hines as well, mm. on the Space DVD. I mean, I must have listened to all the DVD commentaries on Space and on Short of Dead. There is a DVD commentary, and it's uh, in in a lot of ways, it's the best thing about the film. I also like the fact that the first time I watched Space a few years ago, and I didn't really get. I knew there were a lot of references to comic books and. Because you're from India. Yes, and I didn't get... I knew I was, there were a lot of references I was missing. So the DVD commentary, there is a version of it where a little prompt pops up on the screen when they're making a reference to... Oh, wow. Yeah, and, you know, if you don't know what the reference is... Yeah, you could just like, oh, okay, that's what they're referring to. It's pretty cool. If uh, Jaffa Cakes have passed you by and yeah. you don't know what the Jaffa Cakes reference is when he find, finds he's got some in his pocket. Well, the DVD commentary for this film is very good. In fact, here's a bit of it. Film 4. That's one better than Film 3. The lovely logo there of Film 4. Hey, now we first met like in June of 2006 when you had read the script, and then we met soon after that at an Emmy after party in L.A. And what did I say to you that night about my whole reason for doing this film? Oh, you just wanted to do the commentary on the DVD. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. <laughs> I just played audio commentary for Space and Shaun of the Dead, That's and I right. said... I want to do audio commentary with Simon. I think I'll do this movie. <laughs> there was Simon Pegg and the director, Robert Wiley, talking about the fact that Robert Wiley made the film to make the DVD commentary. Isn't that sweet? Well, we are making another one. It's not really a DVD commentary because we're not going to talk. This is an hour and 50 minutes long film, so you, you've already listened to us for an hour if you've listened to part one. Most people probably haven't. I think most people have just jumped straight to this bit. And we've kind of talked about the issues around Toby Young and his appointment to be a university's regulator in the previous part, because we don't want to talk about all that all the way through talking about this film. But we, we're going to look at the film in light of what's happened with Toby Young's appointment and then his resignation. So this brings me on to the second thing I needed to mention before we look at the film, which is we've tried to make this, this little programme a couple of times and then each time the news keeps changing yes. so part one if you listen to that we made that two weeks ago yep and we've just had to keep remaking this so now we've made it because we think we know what you know it's a settled situation toby young was appointed to be a university's regulator by joe johnson the university's minister 
This then led to a huge kerfuffle as various obscene and quite disturbing tweets and other things he'd said in articles were brought to public attention and much discussed. How did he manage to delete 40,000 tweets? It just sounds like <laughs> such a tedious process. Because I've tried this with the WordPress website you very kindly built oh, on for your, me. Oh, on your blog, yeah. And it gets thousands of spammy messages uh, advertising handbags and various penile supplements. And it's just how it's just impossible to keep pace with them. So I I, w- I would quite like to know how he deleted forty thousand tweets. It does speak volumes of his own sense of guilt. I don't want to overstretch the point that he might be rumbled for something. I mean that's kind of worrying in itself, isn't it? Mm. But so things have reached a settled state where Toby Young was appointed to be university's regulator by Joe Johnson, the university's minister. It seemed to be part of a kind of culture war that Joe Johnson, who's a Tory minister in Theresa May's government here in the UK, was trying to have to take on safe spacing, uh, which is uh, has been a live issue in UK universities for a couple of years where various transphobic speakers uh, attempt to give talks on university campuses and then, then the student union often tries to block that because they feel that that is going to cause undue distress to trans students and it looked as though Toby Young's appointment was a way of kind of taking that that war to ensure that transphobia was present on university campuses, it's getting quite technical and weird now Um, that that would go ahead and Toby Young was the guy to make sure that free speech and critical thinking was present on campuses but that seemed to somehow be linked to Boris Johnson's ambitions to become Prime Minister because he's... It's safe to say he's not doing terribly well as Prime yes. Secretary. So this might have been... kind of, If he kind of could have associated himself with this culture war, that would have kept him in the headlines. And you know, Once Theresa May is finally persuaded to, to perhaps she should step down, uh, he would have done something else besides being Foreign Secretary. I mean, he's just that's just the day job. You know, representing Britain abroad is just Boris Johnson's, you know, that's just what he does for, for work, to pay the bills. What he's really all about is challenging um, censorship on British universities. That's his passion. That's, yes, that, that, that paragon of intellectualism and radical ideas. Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. So, when we recorded part one, the appointment was going ahead. And that one, so what's now happened is, Toby Young has <laughs> deleted 40,000 tweets. There must be um, and some kind of, you know, like tweet deck or something. There must yeah, be an automatic tool that helps you do, do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, otherwise, if, if you know... I don't really want to picture Toby Young sitting in his pyjamas at home, sort of frantically... Did I say tits? Why did I say arse? I started a joke Which started the whole world crying But I didn't see That the joke was on me yeah, I mean, it doesn't really speak volumes about no, his character, does no. it? Yeah. 
Anyway, so there was uh, a kerfuffle about his tweets, but Toby Young then effectively resigned from the role that he'd been appointed to before he'd taken it up. Theresa May reshuffled her cabinet. Joe Johnson was moved sideways, or some people would say demoted from being a university's minister to be having dual responsibility for London and transport. Possibly as uh, a slap on the wrist from the Prime Minister Theresa May for appointing Toby Young. But this seemed to be, you know, quite a serious reaction, possibly overreaction from Downing Street and from Toby Young to some quite rude tweets, some quite insensitive, disgraceful language. Seemed to be a bit of an overreaction. And then it turned out, this is reported by a London student, very good uh, yes. London student-based journalism outfit. And, uh, and this, I mean, this is a whole other podcast in itself. How is it possible? How is it possible that the entire British mainstream media spent, what, two weeks poring over every single reference to cleavage and anal sex and masturbating to comic relief and all the other things that Toby Young has said which had upset people. And they missed the fact that he'd attended two conferences on eugenics, one in London at LSE and another in, in uh, Montreal. That Toby Young has, and Toby, to be entirely fair to Toby Young, who may be listening, and to be entirely fair to Toby Young's libel lawyers, who may be listening, Toby Young has robustly, vigorously, emphatically denied what he says are smears linking him to eugenicists. One of his problems had been that he'd made various different statements about a kind of soft eugenics, where he was saying that you know perhaps people from lower incomes or lower educational uh, end of a scale something should happen you know he didn't say vasectomies for the unemployed but you know that was the kind of general hand-waving uh, area but his argument is that when he did talk about eugenics he was saying it to improve the genetic I, I mean I pro- it's the whole problem with this discussion is you put words in the man's mouth which he then de- then denies but this is the only rational interpretation of what he was saying he seems to be saying that he was arguing for positive eugenics because it would help people from disadvantaged groups. But the key problem here seems to be eugenics. Yes. So when you start talking about eugenics, eugenics, <laughs> surprisingly, the conferences that he attended were partly organised by an organisation funded from the United States by another organisation which also funds, surprise, surprise, the KKK. Now, this is not to say that Toby Young endorses the Ku Klux Klan or is a fascist or anything like that, but certainly he he seems to have not taken up this position because the story broke both in The London Student and in Private Eye where his interest in in soft eugenics extended to an interest in actual hard eugenics. I mean, look, if you live in London and there was a conference in London you could sort of argue, oh, I don't know, maybe it was raining outside, maybe Toby fancied a free coffee and a sandwich and wandered into the university premises and found himself sitting in a conference. But if you're going all the way to Montreal... Another aspect of this, which I... I mean, this is meant to be fairly light-hearted, this show, Um, but one aspect of this which is very, very disturbing is 
one of these conferences uh, paper was submitted by somebody who's advocating very something very very unpleasant yes. which I don't want to talk about yeah. and I quite find it quite upsetting talking about it and I'm sure listeners will be distressed but it's what we're saying is the dark end of the spectrum here is is very very dark yes and what Toby Young seems to have done is miscued that his whole kind of lance mag yes. stick which got him in terrible trouble earlier on in this affair has meant that he's kind of open to being part of something which is genuinely quite sinister and, yes. and unpleasant and doesn't sit very well with a kind of light-hearted Britcom produced by Steve Woolley and starring Simon Perrick and Miriam Margolis. And it's even more surprising that Toby Young would find himself in this position because he's from the media, he's worked in the media for years. So anyone who's worked in that environment would know that it doesn't matter if you don't believe in eugenics or all the sort of darker stuff involved with these conferences. You go there, you are vulnerable Oh, anyway, I don't know what well, I mean, about. what you've but what I mean, what's he vulnerable to? Because his whole pitch all the way through this has been, well, I mean, to get technical and nerdy and like an, you know, sort of politics anorak about it, this pitch of say things that people wouldn't otherwise say, yeah. think the unthinkable. This idea has been linked to the Institute of Ideas and Spiked Online, which are themselves uh, a reincarnation of living Marxism which got itself into terrible trouble in the 1990s as apologies for Slobodan Milosevic's war crimes. Mm. Um, but they've tried to sort of carry on existing. They're, they're linked to... Um, well, I mean, to call him a, a sociologist is a very broad definition of sociology, mm. but an academic called Fra- Frank Ferretti. Uh Often on hand for a quote, in much the same way that Toby Young is, but not, I think, widely liked... And I mean, to summarise what we talked about in part one, which is a very kind of very wide ranging discussion of all sorts of things. But in a nutshell, it seemed to be that we were saying what is interesting about this film is really two things. One is it's not very good and it's not very bad. It's, mm. it's disappointing. It's just sort of there. It's, it's not a film that we're going to get angry about. No. And for me, it's important. There's no point talking about films in this sort of format or this way where we're going to watch the film and then react to bits of it there's no point doing it if we don't love the film or yeah. we don't like the film I love people in this film yeah. Simon Pegg big Simon Pegg fan uh, Miriam Margolis come on Jeff Bridges Kirsten Dunst is in some great roles in some great films there are so many good people in this film and I think even Toby Young as I'm not going to say problematic because I think that's pulling our punches. Unpleasant. Yes. Right. Genuinely, yes. you know, eugenics. Come on. Really? You know, nasty stuff. Nasty, unsettling, disturbing, dark things. Things which should not, in this day and age, exist in the public domain being talked about seriously by serious people. But really what's interesting about this film now, and I think why it's worth talking about it, is that feeling I have of being unsettled by all these great people, these talented people involved in this film. And now 10 years on, because it's linked to Toby Young's celebrity, such as it is, but at least his notoriety, 
which he's done willfully, including by writing a book called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. Uh, it's ended up that he genuinely has done that in a bad way, not in a wry wink to camera way, actually disturbing, you know, people avoiding him in public kind of way, which I hope doesn't happen for the guy because, you know, I don't want anyone to be shunned. I, no one should be isolated or ostracised, but frankly, after some of the stuff he's been linked to, people are going to react that way. Um, that makes this film interesting mm. because whereas before it seemed to be a film by some very good and very talented people that missed the mark quite badly for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about, it's now an interesting film because it's about old power waning through miscuing. You know, Boris Johnson's Prime Minister, oh, that's going to solve the Tories' problems. Jeremy Corbyn backing hard Brexit. Paul Mason talking about deep state Blairites trying to stop Corbyn. I mean, this is all, you know, very macho stuff. It's, you know, tough, tough talk on the political left and on the political right. But is it really going to win people over? Is Labour going to get to power by winning over that sweet, sweet UKIP vote in places like Rotherham and Middlesbrough and Cardiff? Well, apparently not in Grimsby because Grimsby's going remain. You know, Grimsby's changing, changing its mind. So I think that's what's interesting for me about this film. Suddenly it has become relevant because it's not very good and Toby Young has sort of fudged things. of BBC's documentary department, documentaries are being made every few minutes. But let's not talk about that because right now I want to sing. I give myself to you for I know I've so much to give and when I'm feeling this way there's just one thing I gotta say Believe me, darling, believe me, I'm incredible. Whenever life becomes inedible, you know you can rely on me to provide an alternative recipe in a sudden moments of boredom. Can corrupt you. There are so many bestial things to get up to. The world is a manifestation of you and me. Every star in the sky, every drop in the sea. Open your eyes to the energy. Is that? Am I being unfair no, to him? No. I think you'll... Yeah, I agree. Do you have any other thoughts before we dip in? No, let's just... Let's just dip in. Okay, so, I mean, we're not expecting you to watch this 
at home with us and we're not going to talk for another oh. two hours or more about this film because I'm not really sure it warrants that we've already talked about the film for longer than the film yes. goes on for yes. and I'm not sure I think Toby Young is very interesting I'm not sure the, the, the film is but there's stuff in it that we you know we want to at least take seriously I mean it's odd to be talking yes. about a film based on Toby Young's book as something that we take seriously but I mean let's just start by talking about who's involved in this film it's produced by Stephen Woolley now we've interviewed Who Stephen interviewed? Woolley for yeah. our other show for our Scarlet show there is Stephen Woolley as a producer now we're watching the titles great guy Robert Weeder as director now Robert Weeder you may not know I didn't know this until I looked it up a friend and collaborator with no less a luminary than Kurt Vonnegut wow uh, produced and wrote very interesting film of Mother Night Kurt Vonnegut's book not a, gr- not a great film it's got Nick Nolte in not a, not a great film to be fair I don't think there are any great Vonnegut adaptations of Vonnegut's great as an author but we're you know we're waiting to see the great Vonnegut film at least in my view but the director of this film Robert Weeder is no dummy he also wrote and produced that terrific documentary about Lenny Bruce wow Swear to Tell the Truth he's uh, worked on Curb Enthusiasm so now we're going through titles Gillian Anderson Megan Fox. Fox now Megan Fox is in some good stuff yeah Gillian Anderson you know one of well, the Gillian Anderson yeah Iconic actors of uh, the last 20, 30 years. You also got Jeff Bridges in this, in a, a starring role. The point that's been made about this film by other people reviewing it when it was released 10 years ago is again, it's oh, Miriam Margolis, Bill Patterson, the, you know, great Scottish character actor. Such good people in this film. But what's odd about it is, again, this point of miscuing, that Toby Young's book is a much darker book. Yes. And you can imagine... Oh, so now we've got this kind of red card. Oh, Ricky Gervais. Great. Is that Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig. Kate Winslet. So this is the... So all these Brit comedy films do this, that they... They stick a lot of cameos in for like a second. In so here's one. That's um, Catherine Parkinson, of course, from the IT crowd. Yes. And if you're watching uh, this, and there's this exchange where Simon Pegg's playing the Toby Young character who's trying to get into this award ceremony with a pig. Which apparently that did is happen. true. That yeah. did happen. Yeah, they they tried to get into a red carpet event with Babe in the city now that's Felicity Montague of course he's Lynn in uh, Alan Partridge yes she's got a fleeting cameo in this there's so many good people there's so many good people in this film who are in it for a second but there's another version of this film which would be I suppose a kind of Whit Stillman film much darker uh, with a much kind of more serious and sombre tone later on in the film Toby Young's character talks about this difference between hacks and flacks and that he saw his role whether he was editing the Modern Review this little magazine that he ran um, with Judy Birchall and various other people 
uh, or whether he was working for you know a big fashion and celebrity magazine in New York which is what his character goes on to do in this in this movie what he was trying to do was to insulate the reader from flax people who were you know PR handlers and agents and uh, people you know if you're a star like Megan Fox you've got people and he, he oh here's another cameo Sandy Newton Sandy Newton so yeah I mean she goes on the poster but she's only in this for two seconds she's on the poster I'm sure they put Sandy Newton <sighs> I mean that, that's kind of part of the point of having all these cameos yeah. is people think then they're, they're going to be in the movie and they are but they're only in there for bait and switch there's an element of that isn't there but in a way if this was a kind of darker film about Toby Young really coming mm. to grips with, with the sort of conflicting impulses between being attracted to celebrity yes. being attracted to the fakeness of this, manuf- this industrially manufactured world of, of celebrity and branding and endorsements and yeah, how, how the money side of Hollywood and old power still works which is really about reciprocal branding endorsements yes. and you know you've now got talent agencies are also promoting corporate brands yes you know they're, they're not just managing or, or the fact that there are apparently there are crisis managers in Hollywood who specialise in handling clients who are you know who've been accused of sexual harassment or domestic violence I mean how crazy is that and isn't it interesting that Toby Young's just been through this crucible yes. and he feels he has been smeared and maligned and yeah, there's a pig pissing on the woman's red shoes now. Well, on Portia de Rossi's red shoes, to be specific. So Toby Young feels uh, that his you know, previous reputation of being associated with this film where humorously a pig pisses on Portia de Rossi's red shoes at a big not, red carpet not event. The, not the lone animal gag in this film no yeah I, I think that's about yes when you when when your film has to rely on multiple animal related gags I think one of I mean talking about this sort of idea of, of films which are forgotten and are actually forgotten you know not overlooked and then kind of rediscovered but just no one ever goes back to rediscover them uh, animal gags to do with prosthetic animals being kicked out of windows or yes. electrocuted or uh, in some cases sodomised was a very much a kind of Ferrelli Brothers yes uh, sh- uh, bit of shtick, bit of business um, not so popular in cinema at the moment no but so Toby Young would, not, would feel that he's being maligned and, and treated quite badly where's his damage limitation experts mm. I mean he, he was up for a government job and oh, so he's an, now we've got um, James Corden. Yes, and Chris O'Dowd. Um, yep. Well, the reason why he doesn't have a crisis manager—he's not—he doesn't have millions and billions of dollars riding on his reputation, like a Hollywood star. No one's got the. No one has a financial incentive to keep. Toby Young's reputation and career life apart from Toby Young so and it's interesting that this film didn't do very well Hmm. 
So just to talk about the business side of it for a moment, it did all right in its first week in the UK. It was at number one, but worldwide, it made back about $19 million, which was 40% of its overall production budget, which was, that's about $47, $48 million, isn't it? But of course, even 10 years ago, I've, I've got no sense of this. I mean, you, you would know better than I would, but was it the case 10 years ago as it is now that, that you have to spend as much marketing the film as making it? Yeah. Oh, well, 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. I, I have no idea because this film completely just escaped my radar. Before before we sat down to make the show, I had no idea this film even existed. I didn't even know who Toby Young was. And, of course, one of the things which I feel slightly um, not awkward about but I'm mindful of is that there are a lot of people who've made this film who whose work I like very much. Mm. A couple of them I've met mm. and personally were you know, very pleasant, presentable people whose work I very much admire, which is why I sought them out to interview them or talk to them. So I, it, it gives me no pleasure to... Um, not be in a position to to praise this film produced by Stephen Woolley you know I'd much rather be able to say this is a great Stephen Woolley yeah. film like so many great Stephen Woolley films like, but it's not um, it's not the company of walls no. it's not a scandal going off on what you said about how the the book was uh, book the book material was darker and yeah. it was more um, sort of genuine mediation on the nature of celebrity and power and sort of Toby Young coming to terms with his own need to uh, ingratiate himself to the, the sort of celebrity yeah. culture. The problem with this film and Mark Kermode had similar things to say about it and I completely agree with him is that it doesn't it, it's a film that doesn't know what it is so it makes some concessions to those uh, impulses of sort of selling your soul to become famous or get into the golden circle or whatever. But then it, there's all, all these weird romantic bits yeah. shoehorned into it. Yeah, there's this whole subtext where, as we'll get into when we fast forward in a second, um, he forms a, a sort of love-hate, tempestuous, office-based friendship which then blossoms into a sort of romance with Kirsten Dunn's character in this film here's Miriam Margolis yes in a role that she doesn't deserve to be in in the sense that it's beneath her to play whatever this is um, funny Polish landlady yeah so it's this sort of the, these weird romantic bits and there's also all these sort of comedic gags that don't really work yeah and various animal gags and so it's almost as if they didn't want to take a risk with the more acerbic bits from the book the more troubling material yes yeah. it's 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 a cop out basically it's it's what it is instead of trying to appeal to a wider audience by taking all those sort of darker bits out and then putting in ingredients that would make it a more palatable uh, mainstream film. And as a result, the film doesn't seem to have any identity. If, if what we know about Toby Young's um, preparedness to treat with fascists, let's not mince words, 
actual Nazis, actual eugenics espousing far-right pseudoscience people. If that had been known at the time this film had come out, well, I doubt the film would have got made. But if it had, you can imagine a sort of Whit Stillman, mm. possibly even um, Paul Thomas Anderson type of film. St- still a funny film, but you know, able to explore a much darker hue, uh, you know, a darker emotional palette. I mean, this is a very jarring moment. He's in a bar at the moment, and it's the first time he's running to Kirsten Dunst, and she's at the bar as well. And he's trying to, he, Simon Pegg as Toby Young's character is trying to chat this um, attractive young lady up. But there's just this bit where he's just sworn at Kirsten Dunst. He says, um, well, I'll, let's backtrack, I'll drop the clip in. What is this? That's a water, sir. Well, that's not right, is it? Got a bit of beer in it or something. I'm sorry, my boyfriend's sitting there. Is he? He's fucking small, isn't he? <laughs> uh, I'm a journalist. I work for a little periodical you might have heard of, Sharp's Magazine. I'm the cultural editor. I... This is a library card from Gloucester. Don't. Well, it's the wrong one, isn't it? I, I've got a. Happy now? Just doing my bit for the gene pool. See how he just swears at her? I mean, I find that slightly uncomfortable, actually. It's it's slightly misjudged. That would work quite well in a, a darker film. It would work quite well in Mother Night. Mm. <laughs> you know, a film that's got more that kind of tone. It's, it's tonally very confused yes. about what it wants to be. Yes. But what we seem to be saying, which is... I'm surprised we're saying this now about this, this film... Um, if it were, if it was a darker film, if it was made perhaps more with the sensibility of making a Kurt Vonnegut film, I don't think Toby Young is. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anything no, no, like no, no, Kurt no. Vonnegut. Kurt oh, Vonnegut no, no, is no. a great writer. No, Toby no, Young no, is no, no. Uh, is at best agreeable, you know, at best moderately entertaining in a sort of slightly overstays his welcome type of way. But had the same sensibility been brought to this film. As was as was brought by the same director, Robert Weeder, to um, Mother Night. Again, not a great film, but a very interesting film. So he's still in the bar, and he's met a different sexy lady, and now and then now they're back at his pad. He's just moving to, and they're bugging out. Yep, this is a bit where the you know the the, the Brit guy abroad is you know getting crazy. Now this, I mean, this is. What do we say about this sequence? I don't want to fisk the films. I don't want to go point by point and demolish them because really, what's the point? But since we're talking about things which are tonally misjudged, which are just very uncomfortable, would this have been uncomfortable ten years ago? Do you think? No. Now, isn't you see that's good, isn't it? It's the fact that we've now got. Yeah. The first of two bits with this trans character, which are really just horrible. I mean, uh, yeah, it's not even a character. It's a it's a caricature, let's be honest. It's a caricature of a trans person. So she's really hot, but she's watching the room, and she's pre-op, so there's yeah. her penis. Yeah. And Mary Margot is just slapped Simon Pegg, but yeah. Simon Pegg is amazed at how big yeah. the trans pre-op woman's penis is. Yeah. 
and now Simon Pegg's woken up the next morning he's got to get it together and get into his first day at work oh oh there's sunlight outside oh, oh the blinds falling on him brushing his teeth motivating himself She's woken up and the trans character's asleep on the floor, walks out the room and she scratches her balls. Yes, I like how they made sure to depict that the, the trans woman was on the floor just so there is no confusion that this obviously heterosexual man slept with her. Or that this obviously heterosexual man might have been gallant enough to let her yeah, take the her bed guests so take he the could bed. sleep on the floor yeah. but you know that's like, probably true yeah, to life but you know let's, let's be clear here he's a he's a normal man he hasn't tra- slept with the trans woman just so you know <sighs> but to be to be fair you know I think that's probably something that Simon Pegg now looks back at uh, and goes yes, I, oh, I, I would like to think that yeah. oh and there's Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges. He's some kind of PJ. Sleepwalking yeah. through this role. Dining it in. So we skip to the end of it where Kirsten Dunst's character's kind of gone off and um, you know, she's having her affair but the affair's not worked out. Things have worked out for, for the Toby Young character. You know, he's kind of with Megan Fox's character who's there standing in her bra and knickers yep and uh, so again it's the thing with his mum's wedding ring that um, Megan Fox's character now wants the wedding ring off him but that's kind of what in this film symbolises the nice aspects of yes. Toby character nice to imagine even if it's in a a Brit rom-com yes that there is a nice aspect of Toby Young, even as a fictional character. Yes. Which is this link to his mum. Bit of Mario Bava there. Yes, I He's know. He's sitting in a hotel yeah. room watching... Um, he sort of sold his soul and gave given away his mother's ring. But there's Boris Karloff. There's a meerkat. All the important things in life. Yes. And in no way contrived. Absolutely no way. It's an old film on TV with his mum in. It's all rushing back to him now. Oh, Oh, he's lost the wedding ring. No. And there's the sequence with the ring in the film that he's watching in the film. Part, part of what is very odd about this film and it's odd watching it in light of Toby Young's recent travails is this kind of film geek quite sweet character in this film sits slightly uncomfortably with the kind of loaded tweeting about MP's cleavage guy and in earlier parts of this film 
you know, the stuff with the trans character. Quite distasteful. Mo- moments where he just becomes quite. Um, I think there's a difference between uh, a dog getting squashed, which is just kind of Ferrelli Brothers gross out humour, and just swearing at somebody, being yeah. sort of mean. It's the sort of meanness that sit that seems to sit very uncomfortably with the sweetness of this character as he's portrayed. And um, I, it's not very believable. No. And it's not showing these very fine actors off at their best because it it just doesn't really ring true no and in a way if Simon Pegg was playing a character who was less likeable perhaps like I mean those um, those few straight roles that Peter Sellers played Jeff Bridges in Jagged Edge yes where he's murdered his wife brutally Uh, it, it would be more interesting to see a darker Simon Pegg in this film I think I see he's got he's got everything but he's actually got nothing you know what you get all the things you thought you wanted and gee whiz you didn't want Megan Fox after all I wonder what Megan Fox thinks of this role because given the success she's had with Transformers and sort of all the um, unpleasantness that went down with um, Michael Bay Michael Bay she has uh, since gone on record to say that uh, in retrospect she didn't like doing these roles and now she's made a conscious decision to not be in roles which just basically require her to be you know Bending the sexual in, in wallpaper yeah. yeah walking through a swimming yeah. pool yeah which is what basically her character is so I do wonder what she would think about think of this role Mm. looking back and it's also interesting that her character in the film um, her sort of ambition and getting ahead in the industry is all framed through just uh, the fact that she's manipulative and she's willing to sort of use her sexuality as currency to get ahead in the industry but it's but looking at this post Weinstein you go well yeah but what about all the people in the industry who take advantage of people who are breaking into the trying Mm. to break into the industry and people who are quite vulnerable and don't have a lot of power but just want to make themselves a career Mm. in the industry and one of the tactics which people like Weinstein who are abusers within Hollywood use is oh I didn't do anything it's these actresses who are Mm. willing to just do anything they need to to get ahead and sort of framing horrible practices like the casting couch as the fault of actors and actresses who are actually the victims in this situation well, as Joss Whedon said in his letter explaining why he cheated repeatedly um, during his divorce from his wife that you know he was surrounded by these needy aggressive actresses yes well we all know what they're like yes so you know the whole argument is oh but they're all needy and aggressive and willing to trade in anyway so if not me someone else would 
take advantage that's of that. Steve Woolley in the background. That's Steve. That's Stephen Woolley, the producer. Oh, in the background, really? Isn't it? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we're now watching Simon Pegg's last-minute dash back to New York to yep. reconcile with Kirsten Dunst's character, and he's trying to get on a plane. But I, yeah, I think there's a cameo by Stephen Woolley, the producer, as a a passenger in a queue. So, I think what one of the things we're saying about this film is it's quite confused tonally. I feel it wants to be one of those sort of late 90s, early noughties Paul Rudd mm. romantic comedies. But it hasn't got Paul Rudd in it. No. It's got Simon Pegg. And Simon Pegg wants to be in that Paul Rudd role. But actually, and this is not to, this is not to take anything away from Paul Rudd, who I quite like actually. Yeah. He's good in Clueless. Yes. He's good in Ant-Man. He's good in a lot of things actually, Paul Rudd. Um, but Paul Rudd's much more of a um, he's much more of a sort of resigned fatalist yes <laughs> whereas Simon Pegg is usually playing people who are you know he's always in, on film posters with that kind of ah yes expression I'm sure there are a couple of versions of the poster for this film where Simon Pegg's I'm sure doing his kind of Edinburgh Fringe 1993 I'm sure there are you know, cut off with the fringe. Ah! Face. This is a film which is, if you'd excuse the term, rudderless and rudderless. Yeah. <laughs> so, here, so now we're, we're in those kind of final moments where he's making the last minute dash to find Kirsten Dunst and reconcile with her having realised it was Kirsten Dunst and her sweet attachments to old black and white Fellini films that he was attracted to in the first place. Would this film be a better film if it had been made perhaps a little bit earlier, maybe only five or so years earlier, and it was a female character caught between having quite some legitimate literary or journalistic ambitions and the fakery of, of the Hollywood star machine and celebrity brand endorsement and what have you. You mean Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, I mean if this was kind of sort of <laughs> Which is a better film by this by any any measure that you can think of. But if but if rather than but if the roles were reversed that we're seeing now, if this was Kirsten Dunst rushing back to New York mm. to reconcile with Simon Pegg um it would be Again, if you'll excuse me, not so much The Devil Wears Prada as, as Bridget Jones' The Devil Wears Primark. <laughs> you know, if, if it's trying to sort of put together the world that we see at the start of this film, where he's in that basically sort of shitty bedsit over a kebab shop running a magazine that hardly anyone reads, and now he's made it big, but, you know, it's all glitter, it's all glitz. Um... Is there not something about this that doesn't quite work? Because he's a bloke. Because his character is encumbered with all our sort of associations with, for want of a better way of putting it, shitty male behaviour. Mm. Where if he was, a, if this was a female character, with Fellini projected on a screen in. That's the, the the park next to the Brooklyn Bridge, isn't mm. it, in New York? Which you you also see um, 
Oh, now here's a way of ending this discussion. You know what else happened in that park in cinema? John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, right, yes, yes. Now, so, I mean, one of the things we like about... Saturday Night Fever is one of our favourite films, isn't it? Yes, it is. And one of the things that we like about it, if I may speak for the whole team... Sure. ...is it starts off being kind of a... um, film about John Travolta's character being the Copper Town but actually he finds he doesn't identify with his male friends from yes. the other side of that bridge yes. the, bridge and, the bridge and tunnel crowd oh shit the, her novel was on fire and now it's the kinks, the film's ended and even also why is this why person is, writing a novel in a notebook and why does it catch fire and now why is there the kinks I mean, at least photocopy your novel. Hey, didn't have it in Patterson. But so, could this film have been better if it was more like Saturday Night Fever? I mean, I think I suppose mm. again I'm saying, mm. what if no, it, what yes. if it was darker? What if yes. it was weirder? Yes. Which, of course, um, Robert Weeder, who's a very interesting. So I'm going to turn this off. Which, of course, Robert Weeder, who's a very interesting guy, uh, responsible for Mother Night, amongst other things, friend of Kurt Vonnegut, more than capable of taking this material and doing something which takes a few unexpected turns, as indeed Saturday Night Fever does, where John Travolta's character ends up identifying with his female friend. He's not looking at her as someone that he's going to be romantically connected to. He's not looking at her as someone he's going to be sexually connected to he's actually empathising with her at the end of Saturday Night Fever because they're both in the same position yes they're both working class and they're trying to yes move up the rungs of, yes. the, of the social ladder in, in Manhattan yes so in in the end of Saturday Night Fever he's actually experiencing the same problems that women experience yes that they're not valued yes their skills are not taken seriously yes they are just looked at as sexual objects which given we've spent a couple of hours talking about this movie and talking about the kind of the deep the, the sort of thick text around movies as sometimes being more interesting than the movies themselves John Travolta yep there's a whole other discussion oh dear we don't want to get into that right now but, but you know before the allegations about John Travolta that have recently come to light I think it was sort of generally felt he was at least a gay icon yes that you know he, he was one of the Hollywood celebrities who had consistently been objectified as a man, which in the seventies was quite unusual. Yes, for somebody to be as powerfully sexualized as John Travolta, and John Travolta's body was. I mean, by the time of the sequel, Staying Alive, he's Rambo and he's got his top off and there's patchouli oil all over him. Yes, and, it all and goes he's Bob dancing, Fossey. and yes, there's all this sort of. Yes, that sweaty dance sequence at the end. And, yes. But also that, that the strut. Yes. You know the the, the kind of signature dance of of uh, staying alive was going to be the strut. Yes. Which in some ways kind of is harkening back to that kind of urban cowboy phase of John Travolta's career, and also of course Midnight Cowboy. You know the, the John Schlesinger film with John Voight in. You know it's it's that kind of way in which. Men cannot be taken, are often not taken mm. seriously in the film industry or, or the Hollywood system. 
I mean, we, we've, got, we've got off the point a bit, but it's just interesting that the, this movie, which is nowhere near as interesting or good as yeah. Saturday Night Fever, but you know, movies that are shot in New York are often shot on location because it's such a great location. This movie ends in a location which is also linked to Saturday Night Fever. All it makes me think is, this could have been a better movie. Yeah, yeah. I I think they they just looked at the source material and... I'm sure they had the best intentions, but um, I think they they thought this uh, would have this was possibly too dark for a mainstream market, so they watered it down, and as a result, it's just not very much. It doesn't amount to much. It doesn't amount to anything. Can you imagine a, a, a sort of Brit rom com which had the sort of um, Christmas DVD market partly in mind that was sort of very mainstream might not have had Simon Pegg in maybe it had would have had um, Ricky Gervais mm. Mackenzie Crook um, Chris O'Dowd yeah which could have been The Devil Wears yes. Primark which could have been about someone from you know a sort of mundane world of yes fading print journalism with the kind of stuffy ideas about journalism that Toby Young's character has in this film yes. and then clashes with the world of glitz the world of glamour with Gillian Anderson as this kind of talent agent and fixer yes. and media manipulator it could have had all the same kind of it could have had a dog that gets crushed by a sure. falling bust on top of a sure. cupboard it could even have had a trans stripper but wouldn't have failed to hit any high notes. Yes. It's not. It's not just that it didn't hit enough. I think this movie doesn't hit any high notes. I think it's only interesting because of what we've spent the last couple of hours talking about, yes. which is Toby Young has this sort of celebrity in a similar way that someone like Steve Bannon has a sort of celebrity now. Nigel Farage has a sort of celebrity now. But also, to be fair, um, James O'Brien and LBC are just these kind of people who are from print journalism or yes. radio. Nigel Farage is kind of really a radio guy, yes. actually. Um, you know, there for a quote, there for a quip. Yes. That they've now been promoted to this level of celebrity, which sat very uncomfortably with a serious attempt at a Hollywood star movie, but which also sits quite uncomfortably with serious politics. Yes. That, I mean, that, that I think is what is most interesting about this film is the link to the present government and Boris Johnson and Toby Young trying to become more like his yes. dad. Yes. A serious... Yes. Not only a person of letters, but also a person of notes. Yes. You know, a man of ideas, it would be, from the left that Toby Young's father came from. Yes. Um, but it just doesn't... No, because he's not like much like the movie. It's, you're not quite sure what his deal is. Is he the sort of man of letter, serious journalist, or is he the guy who tweets about women's breasts? So it's quite confusing, and much it, like this film. And in and in that lack of seriousness, therein lies the seriousness. Yes, because it's a deflection. Yes, it's a misdirection. Yes, and in Toby Young's case, it seems that it was deflecting people from a quite genuine. If not interest in far right opinions, then at least 
being prepared to um, breathe the same air yes. as people with genuinely fascist views. Yes. And this would have been somebody who would have been overseeing the welfare of, of British students. Yes. It's and even, even if you even if you don't wish to attribute Toby Young with the sort of worst impulses from you know like eugenics or all that other dark stuff, just going from his tweets uh, mm. and the kind of what the kind of views about women that he seems to hold, I wouldn't know if those are actually his views or not. But that's what he's prepared to put out in public. As a, as a female student in a university, uh, imagine if you're a female student, you're undergoing harassment or mm. assault or um, sexism in a university, and imagine if that was the person who was in charge of your welfare in university. It becomes a problem when you've got somebody at the apex of institutions, in this case it, it would have been universities, who is in that role because of a certain amount of celebrity linked to radio appearances, being on Question Time, having a a movie produced by Stephen Woolley starring Simon, Simon Pegg, which only made 40% of its production budget back. Um, when you've got someone like that put in that role, who is perpetuating their celebrity with this kind of uh, shock humour mm. combined with snark and irony yes. and a wink to camera. Yes. Oh, I'm not really a sexist. Yes. Am um, I? Yes. Am I really a sexist? Yes. Am I? Are you thinking what, what I'm thinking? thinking? Yeah. I would. Would you? Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Yes. The, whole, the, the deliberately, um, the deliberately contrived dissonance between yes. a real and sincerely held value and opinion and something that's being said for yes. shock value. Reading a Kipling poem, poem at a, Bur- a Burmese temple because it plays to a certain racist audience. Yes. When in fact you're not a racist, or are you? Or are you? Yeah. Because the problem is if you're appealing to racists... Well, maybe you're racist. Maybe you're actually a racist. Yeah. Well, it's been very interesting looking at this film. I, I'm I'm surprised, actually, how it sat and talked about it and thought about it. It's a deeper text than I thought it would be, actually. But not for any reasons that any of the people making no. it intended. No. I think they were, thought they were making a kind of breezy... Breezy romantic comedy. With, you know, some sharp edges. Yeah. But uh, what they ended up producing was um, this very peculiar film... Yes. ...which should have, in a lot of ways, was the high point of Toby Young's career because I can't see how he's going to make a comeback after this, at least as a, a political figure. He's, he seems to have... And this is what I find so strange about Toby Young is he's since the London student story about his participation in two eugenics fora has come out he's tried to portray this as a smear as an attack on him for me again it's just a kind of form of of dissonance how do you smear somebody by using their own exact words in exactly the same context in which they use those words if you're simply reporting factually what they have said and what you would then think they believe based on what they have said how is that misrepresenting no. let alone attacking them it's very strange no. no if you're if you're tweeting can you id whose breasts there are on my telly during pmqs 
there is no other context for that. You're ask, you're you're looking at a woman's breast and then posing that question on a public forum while having political aspirations. That's the only context that exists in. Sorry, no one's mischaracterized you. You said those things. Well, I mean, I mean, so to conclude this, Shirty, thank you very, very much for spending all this time to talk about this film, and I have really I enjoyed am- it. I am certain no one in the history of time is going to spend as much time looking at this film as we have. But that's part of the joy of the show, music <laughs> for films, and it's part of the joy of sharing uh, this time with... I mean, obviously, we're together as a yes. couple, but we also kind of have this life on air as yes. well. It's actually spending all this time looking at movies, which probably don't get thought about in no. this much detail I mean the amount of time we've spent on Nightbirds and now I've listened back to, to those shows I'm quite happy with them as you should be yeah I mean I think I think that there's a there's a richness and a depth yes in that movie released by BFI on Blu-ray we only have the movie because Nicholas Winding Refn yes the director of such films as Neon Demon bought the only print that exists yes off Annie Milligan's biographer. And I'm sure in the next year or two, you know, there are other movies that I'm looking forward to talking about in our sort of regular format for show when we link it back to the, the map of the underground, The Moon Over the Alley. Yes. Oh. Such an interesting film. Oh, so good. Uh, Peter Howden, the former programmer of the Electric Cinema in Notting Hill, uh, which features in that film, that's the only actual film footage of... The, electric. the formative yes. uh, radical elect- uh, electric cinema hippie, hippie cinema club in West London in the, in the late 60s early 70s Stephen Woolley who produced this film we've been talking about says the electric made him yes wow as a, as a, as a film person as a film programme yes as a film person uh, Peter Howard said no he didn't like Moon Over the Alley oh. <laughs> not a good representation and I'm happy that we made that show and I'm happy that we're going to be able to share that with listeners this year because We've added a little bit more knowledge and richness and depth to appreciation of that film. I'd like to think so. The good people at BFI, um, Vic and Will, I hello who do blue who do the Blu-rays yes. and the flip side. They put a beautifully restored, beautifully curated Blu-ray of that film out. We've added a little bit more knowledge and a little bit more richness that now I know at least. Yes, the Electric Cinema Club didn't like the movie. Which is the only movie that, that has yes. got them in. In fact, he, tell, he tells us in the show that you'll hear this year, um, they asked for a caption to be added at the end of the credits, saying that it doesn't represent the film <laughs> club. Um, when we come round to talk about Parable Pashem, yeah, East meets West, very very interesting. Oh yes, oh, uh, I'm going to have lots to say about that because one. Because when because when I first brought that up with you, you were not keen on talking about that film or that director at all but now we've watched it a couple of times although it is quite right wing and quite nationalist and reactionary it's more complicated than that particularly in its depiction of hippies and the Hare Krishna movement absolutely fascinating film Um, so I'm I'm really pleased that we've had this time to talk about this film and you're right we have gone into Mind bending, yes. You know, uh, you know, onion skin layer upon onion skin layer. This Chinese puzzle box of intricately, densely interwoven semiotic meaning that we've unveiled and unfurled. However, I would like to end this podcast with a thought, which has occurred to me. Um, one of the many 
very talented and very interesting people responsible for this not good film not bad film what adequate film yeah um is the director robert um wider he wrote and produced mother night and while we were talking it just occurred to me you know the 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 keynote the sort of the log line of of the book and the movie mother night which is about uh nick nolte plays an american who's broadcasting for the fascists as a kind of american lord haw haw and then after the war his oss handler played by john goodman is gone Oh. And maybe he imagined the whole thing, and actually he really was yes. broadcasting propaganda for the enemy. And the, the you know the the, the logline of, of that movie, and I think it also applies not only to this movie, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, but also I'm afraid to say Toby Young. To Toby Young is we are who we pretend to be, so we must be careful who we pretend to be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we should just end yeah, on, on that note. On that yes. philosophical bombshell. Yes. <laughs> Our podcast is More Music for Films, and you can find it on thebeekeepers.com or your podcasting application of choice. See you, cheeky monkey.